Mary comes to Pontman, France, 1871. My son allows himself to be touched. Jesus loves his mother so much. He gives her great power, but why not? Mary, the perfect mother, never asks anything for herself, not even recognition. Everything is for her son. She, on the other hand, loves us so much, she always comes to us to help us, to guide us, to plead with us, to plead for us. We have one complaint, however. She picks the most out-of-the-way places to visit us. If it's not a high mountain place, like La Salette, where you take your life in your hands to get up there, it's a village in the middle of nowhere, where there are no decent roads as in the instance of Fatima, and no directions as at Medjugorje, and for our purposes in this apparition, Pontman, France. Pontman is not even a town, but a village. It's not on the map. No one in the United States talks about it, because no one knows where it is. Yet, it's a very special place, very out of the way, but so wonderfully out of the way that it remains untouched. It's very much like Loreto, Italy, in that it's not on the main circuit of pilgrimage shrines. There is no reason why we were able to find this place, except that Our Lady had determined that she wanted us to go there so that we could spread her message at Pontman to the world. The rest of the world may never have heard of this place, but to the people of the village and the surrounding towns, Pontman is a place where everything happens. The presence of Our Lady in this shrine is very strong, as in all the small shrines we have visited. Borang, Bano, Loreto, everything centers around the Basilica of Our Lady of Hope in Pontman. All the weddings, baptisms, First Holy Communions, confirmations, everything is celebrated at this church. The first time we were there, on a Saturday in May 1977, there were three different First Holy Communion ceremonies for three different groups from three different schools in Brittany. Pontman is a small village on the borderline between the Normandy and Brittany sections of France. It is very small, situated between Fauché and Mont Saint-Michel, which is on the Normandy coast. The first time we visited Our Lady of Hope in the summer, offshore breezes from the English Channel provided refreshing cool air to the area as a relief from the summer heat. But when we returned in the winter, the soft, cool breezes had turned to cold, howling winds bringing icy weather to the entire area and through our insulated jackets. The local inhabitants choose to stay indoors by the fireplace during these times to protect themselves from being chilled to the bone by the gusty winds. The winter of 1871 was such a time. January was an especially brutal time for men and beasts. Those who could avoid it did not venture out into the weather. But unfortunately, not everybody could stay ho at home. France was still going through its period of chastisement. Those in high places in the government had not heeded the pleadings of Our Lady at the Rue de Bac in Paris or La Salette, or more recently to the little shepherdess Bernadette Soubirou in Lourdes. They were engaged in a war with the infamous Bismarck and his mighty Prussian troops. The French had been so involved in killing their own and attacking helpless nuns and priests, they didn't know how to handle a real enemy. Prussia was able to march through France with ease. 
Paris had been captured, and enemy troops were working their way through Le Mans toward the coast. Bismarck had known all the strengths and weaknesses of his adversaries. He anticipated their every move and countered with a shorter one. There was only one force he had not counted on. How could he? This one enemy was beyond his comprehension. He had no way of knowing her power. He didn't know her. He was taking on the mother of God. The little people, the common folk, flocked to their churches, to the shrines of the Rue de Bac, La Salette, and Lourdes. They prayed, fearful that it was too little too late, but hopeful, knowing that Our Lady was a merciful mother, that their prayers would not fall on deaf ears. Rosaries, Stations of the Cross, Confessions, Fasting, Communions, all were offered up to their Heavenly Mother in a desperate plea for help. We can just picture in our mind's eye millions of angels carrying all these prayers and offerings up from the earth and laying them at the feet of their queen. They had to run out of room in heaven for all the prayers and petitions offered up. At one point, Mary's beautiful eyes might have looked out over the land she had tried so hard to protect that she had loved so much. We can imagine a sadness coming over her sparkling eyes. Perhaps a tear slipped down her velvety cheek and descended to the earth. When it landed, an explosion of energy lit up the entire sky. It happened on January 11, 1871. A scientist called it an aurora borealis. The faithful called it Mary to the rescue. On earth, the residents of Pont Man were trying to continue their lives as if all were well. Normally, these villagers wouldn't be affected by the goings-on in the center of the country. After all, they were just farmers. But this war had hit everyone. Many of the young men of Pont Man had answered the call to duty. They were somewhere in the war zone, but no one knew where or how they were. Stories of the massacres the French were suffering at the hands of their enemies found their way back to the town. Wagons filled with wounded moved along the main roads in disaster proportions. In addition, the Prussian troops had gotten to Laval, a town extremely close to Pontman. On the evening of January 17th, the men of the Barbadette family were working in their barn. Dinner will be ready soon, but they wanted to get finished with their shorts before going inside. It had begun to snow lightly, not like the other days. The winds had died down. The pure white powder fell gently, as if it had come directly from heaven. Monsieur Barbadette, known as Pierrot, his sons Eugene, 12 years old, and Joseph, age 10, were all working side by side. It was about six in the evening. Supper will be ready soon. They wanted to get their work done before they were called in to eat. In the recesses of their minds was concern over the third Barbadette son, August, who was away fighting the war. The father felt that by working, he could take his mind off his fears, but it was not happening. Not an especially religious man, he found himself praying his rosary under his breath. A neighbor woman, Jean de Tuey, came by with rumors about the war situation and possible news about the son Auguste. Eugene could not get over how gently the snow had fallen outside. He couldn't hear a sound. There was not the slightest breeze blowing, much less the gale storm winds that had buffeted the area earlier that day. He walked to the door of the barn. 
He didn't want to hear any bad news about Auguste. He thought that by walking away from it, by not listening to Jean de Tay, he could prevent it from happening. The night cold air was refreshing. He looked outside. The snow had stopped. He remarked to, to himself how unusual it was that the sky was so full of stars, though there was no moon that night. He looked around him. He was immediately frozen to the spot. Above neighbor Augustin Gidecoq's house, about 25 feet in the air, a beautiful lady was suspended in the air, her arms outstretched. She was looking at him and smiling. He had never seen anything like her in his life. Her eyes gleamed like stars. Her teeth were pearl white. They sparkled as she smiled at him. To the 12-year-old Eugene, she was a lady, but she appeared to be about 18 to 20 years old. She wore blue, but dark blue, darker than the sky. Her dress was long and loose. Her sleeves flowed, and on her collar was a band of gold. There was a black veil on her head, topped by a gold cap which resembled a crown. A thin red band ran across the cap. She wore blue slippers tied with gold ribbons. The neighbor woman noticed the boy standing in a daze at the door. He was staring up into the sky. She went over to him to see what was the matter. He asked her to look up in the sky and tell him what she saw. I see nothing, she answered. Eugene looked at her incredulously. How could she not see a lady suspended in air? It was the most unusual sight he had ever seen, and she couldn't see it. He called his father and brother to look up at the sky. Bierot could not see anything, but young Joseph's expression turned to joy as he looked up above Guy de Coq's barn. I see a beautiful lady, he exclaimed. He proceeded to describe the scene in detail, just as Eugene had seen it. The father, Bierot, ordered the boys back into the barn to finish their work. He told Jean de Tay, the neighbor, not to mention what they had said to anyone. She promised that she would not. The boys returned to the barn. Bierot took one last look before he closed the barn door. What could it be that they had seen? There was nothing unusual in the sky. The stars were brighter than he remembered seeing them before, but that was probably because the wind had blown all the clouds away. The spark of a thought kept gnawing away at the back of his mind. He had been working with the boys all day. Their behavior had been normal. They hadn't acted silly. As a matter of fact, there had been a serious tone to the day. They were all worried about the well-being of Auguste. It would have been out of character for them to take a sudden turn to silliness, as he had first attributed their claim about a lady in the sky. Then, he thought, they didn't see the lady at the same time. First Eugene saw her, and then Joseph. They both described her in the same way. Bierot took one last look in the sky, shrugged his shoulders, and went back to work. The boys could not get the beautiful lady out of their minds. Her gaze warmed them as if she had covered them with her mantle. The eyes... Those cobalt blue eyes that pierced them, the sparkling teeth, the delicate features of her face, formed an indelible impression on their mind. They worked quickly, which was not like them at all. When they had finished their work, they raced each other to the barn door. They pushed it open and looked out. She was still there. She was still smiling at them. She was radiant. 
Bierot called his wife. Maybe she will see something. This was driving him crazy. Mrs. Barbedette came to the barn door. She looked up but saw nothing. Her husband was somewhat relieved. However, as a precaution, just in case it was a vision from heaven, they all knelt down to say five paternosters and five Ave Marias. Then they went into the house for supper. The boys wolfed their food down so that they could run back outside to see if the lady was still there. As soon as the last mouthful had been finished, they ran outside the door again. She was still there. The mother asked them to describe how tall she was. She's about the same size as Sister Vitaline. This gave the mother an inspiration. She called the nun, asked her to look up into the sky to see if she could see anything. Sister Vitaline could not. The boys were becoming frustrated. How can you not see it? Eugene cried out. She's so brilliant. Can you see a triangle of bright stars? Everyone agreed that they could see three bright stars, which they had never seen before and never saw again except for that night. Well, the top of the triangle is where her head is, and the two stars at the bottom are at a level with her shoulders. Can you see that? No one but Eugene and Joseph could see the lady. Mrs. Barbedette had heard the stories which had made their way up from the south of France about the two children from La Salette and the little girl at Lourdes who had claimed to have seen the Blessed Virgin. Perhaps this was the same, and only children could see the apparition. She took the nun with her, and together they went back to Sister Vitaline's school. There were three children there. The nun asked them to come along with her and Mrs. Barbedette to see if they could make out anything unusual in the sky. As they walked towards the home of the Bar Barbedettes, one of the children, Francois Richet, age 11, pointed up into the sky. There's something very bright about Monsieur Guy de Coke's barn, she exclaimed. Mrs. Barbedette and the nun looked at each other. As they got closer, both Francois and a younger girl, Jean-Marie Lebos, age nine, cried out, Oh, the beautiful lady with the blue dress and the golden stars. No one has said anything to these two. They had no idea of what they were supposed to be looking for. They had not spoken to the Barbedette boys as yet, but they saw the same thing that Eugene and Joseph had seen. The third child, however, saw nothing. Word of the event spread through the little village rapidly. Soon, just about every resident of Pont Man was at the Barbadette's barn, looking up into the clear winter sky, praying for a glimpse of the lady. She became enclosed in a blue almond-shaped frame from which protruded four candles, two at the level of her neck and two at the level of her knees. On her heart, a tiny red cross appeared. The gathering took on the semblance of organization as the local priest, Father Gideon, came upon the scene. The children reported that the expression on the face of the lady had fallen into sadness. The priest ordered everyone on their knees in prayer. They began to recite the rosary, the favorite prayer of Mary. The first of five changes began to take place. As she listened to the earnest prayers of the people for peace and for the safe return of their children, the visionary saw her begin to swell in size. She grew to almost double her original size. The triangle of stars grew with her, but the rest of the stars made way for the magnificent visitor, 
queen of all the stars in the heavens. Some of the stars became enmeshed in her gown, while others positioned themselves at her feet. A sister, Marie Edouard, who was well known as a leader, began to lead the people in singing the Magnificat. The children shouted out as a new development took place. A banner formed at the feet of the lady between her and the top of the barn. It was about the size of the roof of the barn, and as they sang, a word was formed on the top of the banner. It was me, which means but. As the hymn came to the end, the sentence was formed. Me prie mes enfants, but pray my children. The children called out the sentence as it appeared. A shout of joy was sounded among the people. They began to pray the litany of Mary. Another sentence appeared. Dieu vous assera époux de tomb. God will soon answer your prayers. As the children read out this sentence, the people began to weep tears of joy. It is Mary. She is there to help them. Praise Jesus. He allowed her to come again. As the assemblage wept and praised God and his magnificent mother, the lady began laughing. The children shouted, Look, she's laughing. Look, she's laughing. Soon the people were affected by the laughter of the lady. Everyone laughed with her. They began to sing another hymn to Our Lady. Under the first sentence, a much larger letter began to be formed. It came to them in three stages. The first was, Mon fille, my son. It stayed like this until they began to sing the Salve Regina, at which point the next two words were formed. Celaise allows himself. At the very end of the Salve Regina, the last word of the sentence was formed. Touche, to be touched. The entire sentence was, Mon fils touche. My son allows himself to be touched. Another translation of the sentence is, My son is willing to hear you. In a small village in the middle of nowhere, at the very darkest hour, Mary, the giving Mary, the loving Mary, began a precedent which has stayed with us from that time until this. We can change his mind through his mother. Tribulation and chastisement can be lessened, minimized, and very possibly done away with through the intercession of the beautiful lady who was given to us at the foot of the cross. They began to sing a hymn to Our Lady of Hope. Mother of Hope, whose name is so sweet, protect our land of France, pray, pray for us. As the lady heard this hymn, she raised her hands and moved her fingers in time with the hymn. The children shared this with the congregation. Everybody began to clap their hands in joy. The children's little voices cried out, Oh, she's lovely, she's lovely. In the midst of the hope and joy the townspeople felt, the vision changed again. A large red cross appeared in her hands with the body of her son on it. At the top of the cross was a white stick on which the words Jesus Christ appeared. Her face became deeply sad. Her lips quivered. She looked down at the figure on the cross. It was very obvious that Mary was saying to the people with this gesture, I have given you this gift. I have promised you that your prayers will be answered. Do not forget my son. Look at the pain and sadness on my face. It was put there by you. I love you unconditionally to the point of having my son change his mind. Because of me, he allows himself to be touched. Do not forget him. 
or what he did for you. Don't give him any more pain. The young barber dead boy Joseph recounted his feelings at that time. Her face was marked with a deep sorrow. The trembling of her lips at the corners of her mouth showed deep feeling, but no tears ran down her cheeks. A few months later, I saw my own mother overwhelmed with grief when my father died. One knows how much a sight can affect the heart of a child. Nevertheless, I remember thinking that my mother's sorrow was nothing in comparison with that of the Blessed Virgin, which came naturally to mind. It was truly the mother of Jesus at the foot of her, of her son's cross. From the bottom of the oval, where the stars had lined up at the feet of Our Lady, one little star began to move up towards a candle, lighting each of the four candles. Her sparkling eyes, happy again, followed the star as it went from candle to candle. Her hands returned to their original downward position. Everybody prayed. At a given point, the group began to pray the evening prayers. It was about 8.30 at night. A large white veil appeared at the feet of Our Lady. Slowly, it ascended, covering her as it climbed up. Within a short time, it covered all of her except her face. It stopped for a beat as she looked down at her children with so much love. Then it moved up over her face to her crown, where it stopped. The crown could be seen for a moment, and then it too vanished. It was nine o'clock. She had been with them for three hours. The lady, that special lady, had come down from heaven to give hope to her children. From the description of the children, there is nothing to compare with the beauty of this queen. We truly believe if we had asked any of them, Joseph, for instance, 60 years later, at the end of his life, what the lady looked like, he would have been able to give us a perfect description. He never left them. She never left them. She also gave them and us an insight which has been repeated many times. My son allows himself to be touched. He will change his mind if we change our ways. This message was repeated in Fatima in 1917, in Bano in 1933, and most recently in Medjugorje in 1981. His love is unconditional, but his intervention on our behalf is not. An action is required on our part. If we're willing to make the effort, he will move heaven and earth for us, as in the instance of Pont Man. The actions on the part of the Prussian army as a result of this heavenly visit are unexplainable in human terms. There was an entry made in the log of the Prussian army for January 18, 1871. They had entered Laval, a short distance from Pont Man. The army was ordered to stop their advance, turn around, and return to Paris. There was no reason given. The order was executed. The troops left the area. Within 10 days, the war was over. An armistice was signed. All the soldiers from the little village of Pontmain were returned unharmed. The swift action of the Lord in honor of the request of his mother was realized. Of the four children, the two boys, Joseph and Eugene Barbedet, became priests. Françoise Richet spent her life as an assistant teacher. In her later years, she became the housekeeper for Eugene. Jean-Marie Levas joined the Sisters of the Holy Tr family in Bordeaux. There was much conflict in her life. 
At one point, she had great doubts as to whether she actually saw what she claimed she had. Our Lady won out, though. The apparition was authenticated by the local bishop on February 2, 1872, just a little over a year after Mary had come to Pontman. Of all Our Lady's apparitions, this one is our favorite, in that the message is one of great hope, of mercy. This is the Mary we know, the Mary of hope. This is the Jesus we know, the one who wants to be touched, who wants to change his mind. My son allows himself to be touched. Our Protestant brothers and sisters reject the intercession of our sweet mother Mary. They must not know anything about the great love she has for her children. When Jesus gave us to her and her to us at the crucifixion, she took the mandate seriously. Have we taken it seriously? Mary loves us unconditionally. There's nothing she won't do for us. No way in which she won't help us. Can we say the same? Please load our free Bob and Penny Lord app. Here is how to download our free Bob and Penny Lord app. Simply with your iPhone or Android device, go to the app store, search for Bob and Penny Lord app, and download it. It's that simple. Here's what you can do with our free Bob and Penny Lord app. Number one, the, there's a link to our marketplaces, our websites, uh, our uh, blog, and this podcast. The second link is to our Bob and Penny Lord TV channel, where you can access all of our videos as seen on EWTN, plus a whole lot more. Thank you very much.